this morning. Uh, please turn with me to Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 5, chapter 5 through 6. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to the God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and go going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifice for sins, and no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Thank you for that reading, Brendan. I appreciate it very much. And we're glad to see everybody here today. And hopefully that things I have to say will be helpful to you in some way this morning as we continue our study in the book of Hebrews. We're going to be talking about Jesus as our great high priest this morning. Got a lot of visitors here. We're glad that you're here. Hope that you enjoy our services and want you to come back and be with us when you can. As we consider the book of Hebrews this morning, we talked in the past about just a brief overview of what the book of Hebrews is about. It's a book that was written or a letter written to Jewish Christians in the first century who were enduring great persecution at the time under the Roman Empire. Also, a lot of these Jewish Christians were facing uh, pressure from the Jews that were still active in that time and certain people to cling to the law of Moses and to go back to the law of Moses and continue practices like circumcision and sacrifices and, and things like that, the Sabbath day. And so they were facing great uh, pressure to do these things. And as we consider the message of the book of Hebrews, which is that Jesus is superior to all of those things. He's superior to the angels and the messages they delivered in the Old Testament. He's superior to Moses, the Levitical priesthood, the Levitical sacrifices, and in our series in the, in the book of Hebrews, we've talked about the, the different things that relate to this, the seven wonders of Christ and why Jesus Christ is so great. God has spoken to us through his Son. And that Son who is the radiance of the glory of God, he is the exact imprint of his nature. He's the creator, the sustainer, and the heir of all things. He set down at the right hand of the majesty on high after making purifications for sin. And those things are out of order from the text, but that's, that's what it covers about Jesus. This is God's Son who has spoken to us, and we need to listen to Him. We talked about Him being superior to the angels in chapters 1 and 2. We talked about Him being worthy of more glory than Moses in chapter 3, and how that Moses was a servant of God's house, but Christ is the Son and the builder of God's house. And we talked about last time the rest for God's people that is promised. And God made a, a promise that the nation of Israel would have a rest through Moses, but the promise that we have in Christ and in eternity is greater than that as well. And that leads us to our topic this morning, and that is that Jesus is our great high priest. You're going to have to, I'm going to have to apologize. I'm going to keep looking at this screen over here because that's the one I prefer to look at. And obviously our bulb isn't working, so bear with me there. 
So since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Jesus as our high priest. And before we get too far into this, I want to just talk about briefly what is a priest and what is a high priest. And maybe a lot of you, probably a lot of you do know, but you know, when I think it just the word priest pops into my head, I think about the guys dressed in black that, that forgot to take the cardboard out of their collars. You know, they got the little white square there. And you may think of someone who's dressed in these you know, voluptuous robes with sequins and glitter and big hats, and that's actually closer to the truth than the guys dressed in black, as we'll, we'll see some image, an image later of, a, of what a high priest was supposed to look like under the law of Moses. Maybe you have different ideas about what a priest is. You know, people will say, well, I, need, I talked to my priest the other day. What is a priest? Well, the only definition I'm interested in is the one that the Bible gives us, and we want to make it very simple this morning and just use the book of Hebrews to tell about that. Brenham read this verse this morning, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. This could have come out, come out of the Webster's Dictionary here. It's, just, it's basically a very simple definition of what the high priest does. He's appointed from among men to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. So a high priest was simply appointed by God. It was a man under the law of Moses, Aaron, and it was the first one. And he's appointed to act on behalf of the entire nation of Israel before God and to offer sacrifices and gifts for sin. That's what a high priest is. And it's, that's the nutshell version. There's a lot that goes along with that. But in essence, that's what the high priest does. So we're talking about an intermediary. We're talking about someone who stands between man and God and represents man. And that's what the high priests under the law of Moses were. And that's what Jesus is for you and I, as well as our great high priest. We read in Exodus chapter 40, verses 12 through 15, as as God has selected Aaron and his sons to fulfill the duties of the priests. And I want to just read this real quick. He says, you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of the meeting and shall wash them with water. And put on Aaron the holy garments, and you shall anoint him and consecrate him, that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them, and as, as you anointed their father, and they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. So this is God calling Aaron and his sons to serve as priests in the tabernacle at that time for the nation of Israel. Aaron was the high priest. His sons were priests under him. And they, they are the ones that would serve in the tabernacle. And their lineage, so Aaron, his sons, their sons, their sons, and so on, would serve as priests. And the, the tribe of Levi would, would sort of serve, uh, serve the priesthood, serve in the tabernacle, but they would not perform the priestly duties. It was Aaron and his descendants that did that. And so we see that that was the case all throughout the law of Moses, that Aaron and his sons would, would, would carry on the legacy of being priests, that they would stand before God representing the nation of Israel, making sacrifices, atoning for the sins of the people. But the Scriptures call Jesus a great high priest. You have a high priest, or you have the, the priests, which were Aaron's sons, and then you have the high priest, which was Aaron, and, and those that succeeded him. But Jesus wasn't just a priest, and he's, he's not just a priest. He's not just a high priest. He's a great high priest. And there are certain things that separate him apart from any other priest that we've seen in the Bible. There are comparisons that are drawn all throughout the book of Hebrews. There's a, there was a man named Melchizedek 
in the Old Testament. We're not going to talk about him today in great detail at all. God, uh, the writer compares Jesus to his priesthood. It actually bears more resemblance to his priesthood than the Levitical priesthood, than to Aaron and his sons. But Jesus is unique. His priesthood is unique. And what that means for you and I, the implications of that are, if we really think about them, can change our lives and motivate us to be the kind of people that we should be. He says, since we have a great high priest. Notice here he's not setting out now in chapter 4 to prove that Jesus is a great high priest. He's already proved that in the book of Hebrews. We've talked a lot about those verses as we've gone through this series. Since we have a great high priest. He talks about it in in chapter 1, verse 4, as we mentioned earlier. Verse 3 says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What does the high priest do? He stands before God representing men, and he makes gifts and sacrifices for sins. That's exactly what he says here. He made purifications for sins, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus, as fully God and fully man, right now sits next to God on his throne. He's made purification for sins. He sits there and makes intercession for you and I. He represents mankind as being a fully man. He is fully a man and fully God. And so he sits there right now doing that. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 talk about this. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Why? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's what a high priest does. And Jesus does it perfectly. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. We're going to come to this idea of the importance of our confession that's in the gospel of Jesus Christ later. But Jesus is our high priest of that confession. And so the the writer of Hebrews has already, he's not setting out in chapter 4 and 5 and so on and so forth to prove. He's already shown that Jesus is a great high priest. What he's looking for now is, since that is true, what does that mean? What are the implications? What are you and I, how are we supposed to respond to that? And the first thing I want to look at is he uses this phrase that he has passed through the heavens. And the writer's making a very important uh, point here, and he's really appealing to the knowledge of these Christian Jews, their knowledge of the, of, the, of the Scriptures, their knowledge of how the law works and what the priests were supposed to do under the law of Moses. And he's drawing a, a, a very real comparison here, showing a shadow of the Old Testament in relationship to the Christ and the church. And talks about him passing through the heavens. Well, the high priest under the law of Moses if you're familiar at all with the, the tabernacle and the way it was set up or the temple, there was, a, there was a curtain or a veil that divided about a third of, of that tabernacle from the rest of it. And so in the first part, you would have like the lampstand, the table with the showbread, so on and so forth. And then you would have the curtain. And behind that curtain is where the Ark of the Covenant rested, what they call the mercy seat. And that's where the Spirit of God would come down into the camp of Israel and he would rest upon that mercy seat. And that's where the high priest would go once a year to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And so we read a little bit about that in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, talking about some of the preparations that had to be made in order for those sacrifices to happen. But the writer says that these preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. So all the priests, so this would have been Aaron and including his sons, they would go regularly into the first part of that the tabernacle or the temple, to perform their, their ritual duties, right? He says, but into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. So the high priest 
only the high priest would go behind that curtain, pass through that curtain, if you will, and he would take blood and he would make a sacrifice every year and for the sins of himself and for the sins of the people. And so understand this passing through the curtain, that was a pretty big deal when that happened. It was only the high priest that could go in there, and, it was only, and he only did it once a year. So they would have understood this concept of passing through this curtain or veil into the, into the most holy place, if you will, to offer that sacrifice. And so that's the illusion he's making here of Jesus passing through the heavens. I apologize for the rather blurry nature of this. Uh, this is a screen capture from a YouTube video, so it kind of breaks down a little bit. But this is an artist's rendering of what the tabernacle would have looked like. So you see that curtain there sort of dividing that would have gone all the way across. We're seeing like a cross section here. This is what a priest would have somewhat looked like, we hope. Uh, but anyways, he, here he is. And so once a year, this priest would then pass through this curtain into where the Ark of the Covenant was, and he would make a sacrifice there. Well, the illusion that the writer is making here is instead of this priest passing through a curtain to where the Ark of the Covenant was, he says Jesus has passed through the heavens. And if you would, please just ignore any backwards writing uh, captions you see here. I'm not subscribing to what this graphic is trying to represent other than to show that Jesus has passed through the heavens and now sits at the right hand of the Son of God. And what he's doing here is showing the superiority of, of Christ's priesthood to that of the law of Moses. The priests under the law of Moses, they passed through a curtain, a man-made curtain, into a man-made room to an Ark of the Covenant that was holy, yeah, but it was still man-made. Christ has passed through the heavens, and whatever the heavens represents. You know, you talk about the first heaven, second heaven, third heaven. I've got my ideas, you've got yours. We can talk about it later if you want to. Ultimately, Jesus has passed through the heavens, and he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. He didn't go through some curtain to a room that nobody else gets to go to. He's in a place where nobody is but him. He's the only man there. And Jesus is fully man, and he is fully God, and he's there making intercession for you and I. He is our high priest. And so bear that in mind as we go through this. It's important that Jesus, he hasn't just passed through some curtain into a room. He's passed through the heavens. And that is why he is a great high priest. First, Hebrews 6 verse 19 says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Not the physical curtain. The curtain of the heavens. Where Jesus has gone a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of of Melchizedek. Again, we're not going to get into Melchizedek today, but just showing that his priesthood, number one, it's far superior to that of the Levitical priesthood like Aaron and his sons. We have our high priest, our great high priest, who has passed through the heavens and is literally at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for you and I. And that should be an amazing thing for us to think about. And so he says, because of this, but since we do have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, hold fast our confession. What does that mean? Hold fast. Let us hold fast. Since this is true, and it is true because we've already proved it, Jesus is the high priest. We're not trying to keep that a secret. We're not putting the milk at the back of the store here. It's all up front. Jesus is our great high priest. Let's hold fast our confession. What does it mean to hold fast our confession? What's he talking about there? You know, when I was baptized, like many of you, I made a confession. 
I stood before an audience like this and I said something to the effect of, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Or I was asked, do you believe? And I said, yes. I don't really remember how it went down. Every one of you have ever been baptized have done the same thing. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The Ethiopian that met Philip in the desert, he said, what hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He made that confession. And we believe that confession is a very important part of God's plan of salvation. I believe that. I believe it's true. But what does it mean to hold fast to our confession? What does that mean? Does it mean we just say the words? I believe it, and therefore I've held to my confession. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, talking to about a group of individuals here, and the details of what's going on here aren't super relevant, but this phrase that he says here I want to focus in on. He says, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. He talks about a a submission here that the church at Corinth had, their submission to God's will in some way, whatever way that was. He said, but that submission was based, comes from your confession in the gospel. When I step forward and say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I'm acknowledging who he is. I'm acknowledging God's plan, his power, his purposes. I'm acknowledging that, but inside there's also a conviction. It's not just words. It's not just me saying, I believe, and that's all that's necessary. There's a conviction that has to be behind that. And there's a response to that conviction that's required as well. And so when the writer is talking about holding fast to our confession, it's not just don't Just remember what you confessed. What he's saying is there is, remember what you confessed and live your life accordingly. Hold that conviction in your heart and let it affect the way that you live your life on a day-to-day basis. And consider that. Hebrews chapter 3, 1, he says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. This is a very important Subject for the writer of Hebrews. Hold fast to that confession. Jesus is the high priest of our confession. Hold fast to that confession. It's where we have our hope. He who promised is faithful. You know, the verbal part of that is very important. We read about a group of people in John chapter 12, 42. The scripture says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. There were people who were up in the hierarchy of the the Jewish faith at the time that Jesus was around, and they believed in him. They believed he was the Son of God. But it didn't do any good because they weren't willing to confess it. And more importantly, they weren't willing to act on that confession. They weren't willing to show their conviction of who Jesus is. They were more concerned with their status in this world than they were with the truth and their future in eternity. And so the, the confession of that The spoken verbal acknowledgement is critical and it is important. But you know, it's not just the confession, not just the verbal acknowledgement. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, it's not an either-or situation. He doesn't say if you confess or you believe. It's if you confess and you believe. It does me no good to believe something if I'm not willing to confess it. And it does me no good to confess something if I don't believe it. 
I stand before you today as an expert in quantum physics. How many of y'all believe that? I don't even know what quantum means. There were quantum torpedoes in one of the Star Trek movies. I don't know what they did. I don't know why they were different from a proton torpedo. I don't know the difference. What is quantum physics? I barely know what regular physics are. I can confess anything I want. Doesn't make it true. I can confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Doesn't mean I really believe it. It doesn't mean that I'm willing to act upon it. Hold fast to your confession. Make that true in your life. Live it. Be it. Do it. Who our high priest is. We've already said it's Jesus. What do you mean who our high priest is? We're not not trying to identify our high priest here. We're trying to look at attributes. We're trying to look at qualities. We have a great high priest, and since we do have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, let's hold fast our confession. Why should we do that? What is it about Jesus? We've already talked about a lot of things that make him a great high priest. This next passage, next verse, Hebrews chapter 4, and verse 15. I've read this verse a lot of times, preached it a lot of times, heard it preached a lot of times. When we understand the concept, we get things, we use this verse to talk about how that Jesus never committed sin and He was tempted to commit sin, but he never committed sin. It's not wrong to be tempted. It's wrong to sin. We talk about Jesus, you know, understands what what we are. And that's essentially what's going on here. But, you know, the way that this, this verse is kind of phrased and worded, it can be a little bit difficult to track through sometimes when you really... There's some double negatives going on here, I think. And I think there's some sort of Greek literary device that's being used here. I'm not an expert in that at all either. Um, but I think there's something going on here where he's contrasting, and he's basically saying the same thing twice. So if you kind of break these, these words apart a little bit, the first part up here, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Direct, direct from the page of the scripture we just read. But he's contrasting, and I'm, I've inserted this, this line here again, we do have a high priest, and then back to scripture, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, what's going on here? He's basically saying the same thing twice, and what he's saying is, he's starting out with, this is who our high priest is not, but this is who he is. But in essence, he's saying the same thing twice. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And so implicit in that is we do have a high priest who is able to sacrifice with our weaknesses. But he says it a different way. He says, we do have a high priest or but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so what he's acknowledging here is the weakness part. What is the weakness? Well, the weakness is sin. We don't have a high priest who can't understand our weakness, which is sin. We don't have a high priest that can't understand our temptation. He does understand. In fact, we have one who in every respect has been tempted like we are. Whatever your problems are in life, Whatever your struggle with sin, know that Jesus understands it. I was talking with Nathan this morning as we were driving to church and talking about this concept a little bit. And we talked about how, you know, some people will say, well, I just, nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody understands what it's like to be me. Isn't that kind of the the big sort of attitude that everybody's supposed to have? You know, you do you, and nobody understands you. You be honest with yourself. Be true to yourself. Love yourself. 
and nobody understands what I'm going through. Well, the Scriptures tell us that there's nothing, there's no temptation, you know, that, that is not common to man. We understand that. And I can guarantee you, whatever you're going through in life, someone else has gone through it, and probably somebody in your congregation or in your life has gone through that as well. But let's, let's put a pin in that for just a moment and just assume that that's true. Let's just assume you've got a problem going on in your life that nobody else can understand. Jesus can. Jesus does. Well, how do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. He is a high priest who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. What does that leave out? It leaves out nothing. There is nothing that anyone has ever gone through that Jesus does not understand. No temptation you face, no matter how horrible and wretched and ashamed you are because of it and how you think Jesus must be so ashamed of me. Maybe he doesn't approve of it. Maybe he doesn't like it, but he understands it because he's our great high priest. And he suffered temptation. In every respect, he's been tempted we are yet without sin. Since there, back to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing. We talk all the time, why did Jesus come to earth? Why did he love me? Why did he want to save me? I don't know the answer to that, but I do know why he became a man. The scriptures tell us why he became a man. It's because he had to become a man in order to be our high priest. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In this verse right here, same as Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1, the definition that we're working off of of a high priest today is right here. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so he could become a merciful and faithful high priest. Verse 18 is basically just a retelling of this. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He understands what you're going through. Doesn't matter what it is. He understands it. And he can help you with it. Now, let's pull the pen out of that part that says that nobody else understands what I'm going through. Somebody does. Maybe I understand what you're going through. Maybe I can look at you, what's your problem? You tell me your problem. Oh, yeah, I, did, I went through that 20 years ago. I know what you're going through. Let me go talk to God about it. Let me go help you with that. Let me go before the throne of God and talk to him and let him know what it's like. And What's that going to do? What's that going to accomplish? I'm going to go to God on Trevor's behalf. God, Trevor's going through this. I went through it 20 years ago. Let me tell you all about it. God's going to be like, why are you here? you got your own problems. You can't help Trevor. You can't help Trevor with, your, with his sin. You've got your own sin. And that's what makes Jesus as our high priest so great. Because he has in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Not once did he commit a sin. Hebrews 7, 26, it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest Listen to these words. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. You and I have a high priest that not only understands every single thing you're going through, but he can do something about it. He took his own blood to the throne room of God and offered it there. And he stands there and he makes intercession for you and I. He's exalted above the heavens. He can do something about it. 
And it's indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. There's no one else that can do what Jesus does. Nowhere else you can find it. And so because of this, what does that mean for you and I? What does it mean? It means we can draw near to God with confidence. We can draw near to God knowing who our high priest is and what he's done and what he is currently doing. We don't have to be timid. We don't have to be shy. And he says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Anytime you need grace, anytime you need mercy, you can go before the throne of God knowing that your great high priest is there making intercession for you. Going back to the law of Moses, all the ritual and, and pomp and circumstance that had to be done under the law of Moses, this little passage here in Exodus 28 is just a very small snippet of what was required for the high priest just to prepare himself to go into the temple. And he talks about the high priest and, and his robe here. It says, On its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem, with bells of gold between them, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. So this robe that he had, they were supposed to make these well, pomegranates out of yarn. And around the bottom of the robe, he had alternating pomegranate yarn, pomegranate bell, pomegranate bell. That's really hard to say. Why? Was it just for the looks? Well, look at what he says in verse 35. It shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he does not die. The bells were there so that they would know the high priest is still alive when he goes into the, into the most holy place. Can you imagine the sons of Aaron the first couple of times he, he went in there? And you think, man, dad's been in there. He's been in there a long time. <laughs> Wonder what's going on in there. It's awfully quiet. Is dad still alive? Well, you know he's still alive because he's got the bells around the hymn. You stop hearing the bells, something went wrong. The point of, of showing this is that they had to be very careful, carefully follow God's word before they went into that temple and ministered. Two of the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, offered strange fire before God, and what happened? He consumed them with fire. They were killed. They lost their lives because they didn't take it seriously enough. Now contrast that with our, what our writer is saying in Hebrews. We have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Hold fast your confession and let us with, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. We don't have to worry about bells on the hem of our robes. We can draw near to the throne of God with confidence, knowing who our great high priest is. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I don't know how you're trying to draw near to God, or if you are. If you're trying to draw near to God in any other way than through your great high priest, which is Jesus Christ, you're not going to get there. You can't draw near to God without Jesus. Because he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, through Jesus. You can't draw near to God any other way. Whatever religion the world offers you, whatever self-help book you read, whatever person you look at and admire and says, follow me, unless they're following Jesus, you don't want to follow them. The only way to draw near to God 
is through Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21, it says, Since we have a great high priest, there's that phrase again, Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. How much assurance? 100%. That's what full means. Full assurance. No doubting. No wavering. Full confidence. We can draw near with a true heart. How do we do that? Well, we've had our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Remember that confession we made? Remember the commitment we made to repent of our sins and be buried with him in baptism? To have our conscience cleansed? To have our bodies sprinkled with pure water? Not the water that's in here. The symbology of that, linking it to the blood of Jesus Christ in baptism. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, the like figure were to baptism also now saves us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of the good conscience toward God. Other versions, I believe the ESV version says, an appeal of a good, of a good conscience toward God. An appeal to God. Full assurance of faith. Where do you find yourself this morning? Is Jesus your great high priest today? You know, I think about this passage and decisions we make on a daily basis. We make a lot of important decisions. You know, we had a lot of graduating seniors in our congregation this year, had 10 of them. And some of the most important decisions they'll make in their lives, they're making right now in terms of how it affects their their worldly life. And we all have important decisions to make on a day-to-day basis. You know, I watch all of our seniors this year and the, the, the paths that are before them and how they're choosing to take those paths. Some of them are very different paths. But you know, the only decision that really matters is this decision here. Are you going to make Jesus your high priest? Are you going to make the decision to let him be your high priest? And I want to close by reading Hebrews chapter 7, verses 28 through 8 and verse 2. He says in verse 28, For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. Let's stop there a second. The law, the law of Moses, appoints men in their weakness as high priests. And what he's really trying to do here is he's trying to, to make that contrast to these, these Jewish Christians who were clinging to the law of Moses and looking for, for comfort there. It was what they were used to. It's what they knew. And he's saying, listen, the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. These high priests had weaknesses of their own. They had sin of their own they had to deal with before they even went into the temple. And that's the kind of priest you want to rely on? You want to rely on that kind of priest? There are people in this world who do that. There are people who go to church and they have a priest or a pastor or a preacher or someone that they say, that's my, that's my guy. He takes care of me. Is that where you want to put your faith? Can you have full assurance of faith in that? Knowing that that man has weakness just like you do? I'm not saying we shouldn't follow examples of leadership. God established leadership in his church. We try to follow that here. But I'm telling you right now, as, you're, as one of the elders of this congregation, please do not put your full faith and trust and confidence in me in terms of your salvation. Now look to my example 
If I, as I follow Christ, follow me. That's fine. I, I, and follow Carrie. Probably follow him more than you follow me, I would recommend. That's all fine. But where are you putting your full faith and trust and confidence? In the weakness of men? But the word of oath, word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. I personally would rather follow a great high priest who's perfect and sinless. Now, verse 1 of chapter 8. The point in what we're saying is this. This is the point. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not men. Not some man in a tent in the wilderness that goes behind a curtain with the blood of bulls and goats. But the Son of God, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, who lived a perfect and sinless life, going through every temptation that we go through, he instead passed through the heavens with his own blood, which was perfect and pure and spotless, and presented that to God on his throne. And he sits there to this very day. For 2,000 years, from our earthly, worldly perspective, Jesus Christ has sat next to the throne of God as our great high priest. If you've never made the decision to obey the gospel this morning, I'm begging and pleading with you, think about that. Make Jesus the great high priest of your life. If you're willing to confess him as the Son of God and hold that confession, repent of your sins, be buried with him in baptism, be raised to walk in newness of life. Do that today. Don't wait any longer. If you need the prayers of this congregation for any reason, please come have a seat on the front row while we stand and sing.